Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great-tasting, high-quality organic dairy ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg, presented by Clear. Enroll today at clearme.com slash Ion Travel and try Clear at the busiest airports nationwide. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, the travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from the Gwen Hotel in Chicago. So much to talk about about this hotel. I remember it when it was the McGraw-Hill building, a 16-story landmark building in the uh, the near north side of Chicago. Then it became the Meridian, then it became the Conrad, and now it's been reopened as the Gwen, named for uh, the pioneering female sculptor of the 20th century named Gwen Lux. 
My next guest has the distinction of being the editor-in-chief of the Chicago Sun-Times. Chris Fusco, how are you? Very good, very good. I Thank mean, you. I can't come to Chicago without talking to you. I mean, this is, <laughs> you know, this is a city that I, that I love. I've, I've described it for many, many years as America's biggest, best underrated city. I think that's a pretty fair, uh, pretty fair assessment. I mean, it's got so much. It's got so many neighborhoods. It's more than just Michigan Avenue. Uh, I, I like to tell people if they're going to stay at a hotel like the Gwen, great. Make it your headquarters and then get out and go see the city. Yeah, and then there's so much here. This is one of the world's great cultural cities, theater, art, music. Uh, it's one of the world's greatest journalism cities, frankly, uh, which well, I know listen, you have some I, experience with. I have some experience. When I was a, a student at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, I was a, a campus correspondent, otherwise known as Stringer, for those people who don't know, um, earning $20 a month. Uh Big time. But I would figure out a way to come down the I-90 to hang out with all the Newsweek guys here in the Chicago Bureau on Michigan Avenue. But of course, if you're a journalist in Chicago in those days, you hung out at two places, Billy Goats and Ricardo's. Sure. And and uh, you go to Billy Goats and Stud Turkle would stop by. You go to Ricardo's, everybody would stop by because you not only had the Chicago Tribune, the Sun-Times and Newsweek, you also had the Chicago Daily News too. Yeah, I think the Daily News folded in 78. Yeah. was the last Daily News with a circulation of, I think, 364 to 375,000. So imagine that. We, what would we give for that today in print? Exactly. Well, let's talk about that. How are you guys doing? I think we're doing okay. I mean, it's been a, a lot of transition. I've been at the paper nearly 20 years, uh, the last uh, three or so in management, three to four in management. And, uh, you know, it's it's been, a, it's been a wild ride. The paper's had four owners in that time, but I feel like we've stabilized a little bit and we're sort of... Uh, but isn't Chicago still a newspaper town? I, w- I want to think that it is. Yeah, I mean, I think I think people still identify with the Tribune and the Sun Times, uh, the Daily Herald out in the suburbs. Uh, you know, the the, the the delivery's changing. We don't need to you know belabor that, but right. it's 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 still a good news town. Well, look, in a world where I still believe with all my heart that content is king, if you can figure out your distribution, you get to keep going. Exactly. And and, and we're, we're trying to figure that out. The Tribune's trying to figure that out. Hey, you know, people are reading us now more than ever. The key is to get them to pay for it. And it's a great time to be a journalist in Chicago. And then, of course, the other key is to get them to understand Chicago. Yeah, and that that's hard to do in a, in a short radio interview. But it's a city in transition. I mean... Uh, the election of, of Lori Lightfoot as mayor is, is a game changer, uh, an African-American woman, LGBTQ. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a stark contrast from the daily years where sort of a political dynasty family equated to sort oh, of the you Kennedys. Think, you think so? Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> so, but I think I think it's hard. I, I think for people coming here now, there's a lot of confusion about Chicago. You know, Trump Trump tweets about the crime, uh, gets into, a, you know, a war of words with the former mayor, Rahm Emanuel. And so, you know, this is a very, I think, hard place if you're coming in from the outside to sort of understand it. And for those of us that live here, we understand it deeply and appreciate it for all its warts and and. Uh, well, great let's, things. Okay, well, let's open the doors to some of the myths. What What is the most misunderstood thing about Chicago? I, I mean, I think the crime problem is in, incredibly misunderstood, and uh, you know, but you but you do talk about the fact that you get a lot of shootings here. Oh, a- absolutely, and and it, and it dominates the news cycle. Yeah. And um, you know, one of the things we've tried to do with the paper is not only on report uh, report on every shooting. Uh, every every killing, but also note, you know, what are we doing to sort of what are our what are our solutions to that? Um, you know, but if if you look around, look out the window of where we are now, you're seeing you know gleaming buildings, uh, a downtown area that I think is as safe 
as any in the country. That's not to say we don't have problems here like every city does, but the focus is now, I think, on sort of neighborhood reinvestment and, and what do we do to help those areas on the south and west sides that have been, uh, you know, plagued by uh, violent crime. And uh, it, it's it's a very complicated problem. It's not, it, it sure hasn't been solved in a decade. It's going to take decades more to do it. But I feel like the conversation, uh, in my opinion, not necessarily the opinion of my employer, is moving in the right direction. Um, and and you've seen stumbles, huge stumbles along the way, but but in general, I think the city acknowledges it and wants to do better. You know, so many of my friends will tell me they've been to Chicago, and then when I ask a little bit more of a deeper question, I find out they just changed planes at O'Hare. They haven't really yeah. been to Chicago. And you've got an airport here, one of the busiest in the world. Right. Right. Is it getting any better? The airport? Or, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question for some of your other guests, I think. I don't know. I mean, I think there's well, a massive... Well, you fly out of it. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there is a massive expansion plan on the table for O'Hare, multi-billion dollar. And, and more it. runways? Uh, more runways have been slowly coming into play, but yeah. this one, next one, is focused on terminals. So I think you're going to see... I think the, the city understands that for us to be a world-class city, we need to have an airport that keeps up. And surely when I fly to other places, anecdotally, I see airports that look a lot flashier than ours. Like? Oh, I think I, I've been through the Hong Kong airport. Uh, oh, if you're talking overseas, everybody's yeah. flashier than us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, domestically, I don't know. It's 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 hard to say. Just flew in and out of Phoenix. They seem to have a pretty cool airport, but uh, they're working on their transportation back and forth. Exactly. So. But then you've got Midway. See, I like Midway. Midway's a great airport, and uh, it, it didn't used to be, but uh, again— Even when it didn't used to be, I liked it. You know why? It was easier to get in and out. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and having Orange Line uh, access there now. We have CTA-L access to both airports. But There's the other no- thing I loved about Midway, you always knew when a plane was landing. You had no choice. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Right, yes. but you know what? Southwest is still the dominant carrier there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And if you if you look at their route system, you can get anywhere from Chicago on Southwest. Yes, you can get anywhere from Chicago, anywhere in the country, through any mode of transportation that you like, which is, frankly, what fueled the city's historic growth. Right, but of course... Everything has to do with infrastructure, right? Correct. So in the old Mayor Daly days, when he was friends with the guys who ran the bus system, you couldn't get mass transit out to the airport unless you took a bus, mm-hmm. right? The, 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 the MTA stopped like it, or the CTA stopped. CTA. The CTA stopped like a mile from the airport. Like, how did that happen? And finally, you got it out there. Well, it's interesting. The town uh, just to the east of O'Hare, Rosemont, is now a, a hotel and, and Mecca Boom Convention oh, yeah. Center. And yeah. That's largely because uh, the old mayor, Daly, made good friends with the old mayor of uh, Rosemont, Don Stevens. So and, there, there you have it. And a true Chicago story that also includes some allegations of untoward behavior and government but anyhow no you think yeah yeah uh-huh but, i go back i go back to uh the famous busting of the bar oh the the mirage tavern. the mirage tavern yeah the legendary sun times story where the sun times bought a bar with the better government association and caught a lot of inspectors on uh on camera passing bribes to uh, reporters posing as bartenders. Shocked to find that gambling's going on and connecting my, collecting my winnings <laughs> from the night before. There's gambling in Casablanca. That's right. Unbelievable. <laughs> so from somebody who lives and works here and, and covers this city, what's the one thing you'd like to see changed? Boy, you know, I think the evolution of the city. I mean, I, I think I think uh, in America in general, uh, what what the president has, has done a little bit in our editorial board has been pretty hard on the president. Um, you know, I, I think we need to see a coming together of of, uh, of America, and I think Chicago is a good reflection. You know, the Midwest of America, and uh, you know whether it's it's politics, government, uh, solving the crime problem, uh, we need to be uh, unified 
In By the way, effort. speaking of the president, you cannot find a larger hotel sign with his name on it than here in Chicago. Yes, you that can. Is, that, you can? No, no. I mean, I, no, you can't. Okay, I'm thank sorry. You. Don't scare me. You that's, win. That's one. You win. Yeah, you got that one. I misspoke. <laughs> no, no. I don't want to win that one. I'm just, I'm just saying you yeah. can't avoid it, right? That yeah. is one big sign. Yeah, and that, actually, that's the site of the old Sun-Times building. That's where uh, I used to work in that building. Uh, it was only about seven or eight floors high at the time. Wow. But the view was pretty cool down the river. The, the view is pretty cool, and there's that. I have never seen a bigger sign, and 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 Rahm Emanuel challenged him on it and lost. Yes, yes, and and you know that's you know, the 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 the, the push and the pull between uh, Trump and Chicago, whether it's crime, it's just been uh, it hasn't been great for our city. My next guest, I actually have to forgive because he was the president and chief executive officer. Actually, he was the president of the University of Oregon, which beat us in the Rose Bowl this year. So I, and when I, yes, Re- you did. Resoundingly. Did you have to say that? <laughs> Richard Leverevere, who is actually the president and chief executive officer of one of the coolest places in the world, the Field Museum right here in Chicago. And what's amazing to me, doctor, is how big it is. It is huge. It's 1.3 million square feet. It's uh, bigger than the Smithsonian Natural History Museum. It's like the two outer rings of the Pentagon. Wow. Without the generals. Without the generals. <laughs> and we're talking how many, what, 40 million artifacts? We have 40 million specimens and artifacts. And that so, your base, so your archivist is taking hostages now. <laughs> <laughs> the archivist is always asking for more space. No kidding. Right. But that what that really means, though, is you can rotate your exhibits endlessly. Well, yes, except for the fact that we are actually one of the world's great repositories of the history of life on Earth. And so research is really our key uh, responsibility. So, so our, the research actually drives the exhibits. Exactly. It, it drives the exhibits, but it also drives the collections. So even though we have... Less than 1% of our materials on display, the material that's behind the scenes in that 1.3 million square feet is used by the rest of the scientific world for their research. Wow. And how often are you changing the exhibits? Well, the exhibits change over pretty continuously. And I'm always amused by people who say, yeah, I went to the museum it must have been 10 years ago. I've seen everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. No, sorry, exactly. It's constantly changing, and that's one of the exciting things about the place. In your experience there, and you've been there for a number of years now, what's the most striking exhibit that you've got? I think without question our Evolving Planet exhibit, which is the best presentation of evolution I've ever seen. Uh, and I've been there for eight years. I walked through the exhibit from beginning to end at least once a week and every single time I go through I have some new insight into the nature of life on earth. But if you're talking about an evolving planet then you're also talking about extinction. Exactly and we document very carefully the first five extinctions and the sixth one that's underway and the consequences. Well stop right there. Help me out here. The sixth one that's underway. <clears throat> yes we are in the midst of of uh, an accelerated period of climate change that's been brought about by human beings in spite of some political leadership that claims it's a hoax. Um, And we engage that pretty directly at the Field Museum. It's one of our fundamental 
obligations. Of course, one of the things to, to make that point has to be allowing the people who visit the museum to connect the dots. Uh, you know, I, I always say in journalism, if you can't end a segment by saying, what does this mean to you, you haven't done your job. So you have to do that. That's your responsibility at the museum as well. That's exactly right. And it's one of the things that keeps us on our toes constantly because we are always shifting to respond to the latest science, but also to interpret the latest science for our one and a half million visitors every year. So in explaining this sixth extinction, what's the biggest surprise to your visitors that they had no clue about that wakes them up? Oddly enough, even though it is... uh, I I have a guess. What is it? Bees. Uh, The bees are becoming a big topic for us. In fact, we just received a gigantic gift from one of the city's great philanthropists to hire someone to study exactly that topic. But I think the thing, ironically, in spite of the 10,000 square feet of this exhibit that really hits people is as you walk out the door, there is a ticking clock that tells people how many species went extinct since 8 o'clock that morning. And Whoa. we see them. We see them just freeze when and they the see that. And the answer is, well, it depends. Uh, depends on the day. It depends on the day. Uh, we are on a slow day. On a slow day, it would be seventy-five or eighty uh, species. A day. A day. A day. And now sit back and think about that. That's not a wake-up call. That's a five-alarm fire. It's. It is a five-alarm fire. And like Greta Thunberg says, our house is on fire. I do a great impression of her. Would you like to hear it? Yes, please. How dare you? Oh, that was it. Okay. It's a good thing this is radio because you don't look like it, look her, like her at all. If you are like me, who loves Chicago because I would come here every weekend as a student at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, I'd sneak down I-90 every chance I could. Uh, My next guest is someone who I uh, basically worship because she is the curator at the Museum of Science and Industry, a place I used to hang out every chance I had. Uh, (laughs) And her name is Vula Saradakis. How are you? I am good. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to have you. I mean, this is one of the great museums. You know, I grew up in New York. And where I'd go to the Museum of Natural History or any of the other museums there, it was look, don't touch, stand there, don't make a noise, you know, don't even be seen, and then you're supposed to get something out of that experience. Your museum is not like that at all. No, not like that at all. And it actually stems back to the history, uh, the founding of the institution, and the vision of the founder, uh, Julius Rosenwald, who had this idea come to him when he went to Munich with his then teenage son in 1916 to the Deutsches Museum in Munich. And he observed his son really getting into the hands-on interactives, being able to push buttons and pull cranks and levers. And that's really what he wanted. And that was the turning turning point. Absolutely. That's what he wanted to see in the museum. People forget the real history here. This is a museum that was built in 1893. Yes. um, The building itself was originally the Palace of Fine Arts, built as part of the World's Columbian Exposition in 1893. And because it was the Palace of Fine Arts, the artists who were sending their uh, 
paintings and their sculptures to it, wanted to make sure that it was a sturdy building because all the other buildings were made out of plaster and temporary materials. There was never any desire to keep the structures up except for this one. And by the way, if you take a look at what they're doing right now in Dubai for Expo 2020, they're not building temporary buildings. They're building buildings that, that are meant to last a mm -hmm. long time. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and so this one had a, a brick substructure and it was meant to withstand fires and all sorts of other uh, catastrophes. And sure enough, it did. After the fair came to a close, all the other buildings, there were several fires and all the others were pulled down eventually. This one stayed up and if it was uh, taken over by the Field Museum until 1920. And then the new building for the Field Museum was built north of the um, MSI where the Palace of Fine Arts was located. They left in 1920 and then in, in the 1920s the building remained vacant and it started to deteriorate. I mean this is Chicago weather we're talking about. And, really? Okay. Yes. <laughs> and falling apart and it was during this time that um, the president and philanthropist Julius Rosenwald who is the president of Sears Roebuck and Company came up with this idea to found this institution that would focus on technology technology and science and industry in Chicago and eventually that site was the chosen site and they began reconstruction in the late 1920s. We're talking with Dr. Vula Saradakis who's the curator at the MSI, I'm, I'm getting the jargon now, the Museum of Science and Industry and you know this because I told you this offline, when I first went there what blew me away and what makes me take all my friends there to this day is the U-boat. Oh, yes. The German submarine. Because, first of all, how does a German submarine get to Chicago, <laughs> number one? Mm. I mean, literally, it just, just didn't show up. And the most in incredible story, which you actually have video of. I mean, you actually have the mm. footage of how, first of all, how we saved the sub when the Germans tried to sink it. Mm -hmm. And then how we transported it, literally, from the Atlantic Ocean to oh, yeah. Chicago. Yeah, it's uh, it's the the battle for U five hundred five. It was very dramatic. Um, it was uh, captured off the coast of uh, of Africa, West Africa, and uh, everyone kept it secret because the war had not ended yet. So they captured the U boat and they uh, sailed it back secretly to the Bahamas initially. As you would. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, eventually it made its way up to New England, um, and it stayed there until. Uh, about 1954 before it came to the Museum of Science and Industry. Now, the captain of the USS Guadalcanal, he was a Chicago native that was Captain Gallery, who was then an admiral at that time in 1954, and the Navy owned the U-boat. They used it for target practice. It was going to be eventually dismantled, and he convinced the powers that be to donate um, along with his brother, who was a pastor in the Navy, who, again, they're both Chicago natives, to donate it to the Museum of Science and Industry, and um, which, uh, every, after everything was signed and agreed upon, they sailed it through the Great Lakes. Unbelievable. Right? Sailed it all the way through the Great Lakes, brought it down. We have pictures of the Chicago skyline as it's making its way down to Chicago eventually. To Can you imagine people sitting on the beach looking at this thing going by, <laughs> a U-boat in Lake Michigan? Yes, and afterwards it parked for a while, two months or so, summer of 1954, it parked on the 57th Street Beach <laughs> off the coast, uh, or off the, as the, you would. the lake there of, of <laughs> yes, MSI. That's where we've captured uh, their 
a number of photos of the bathers. Uh, and then eventually it was hauled one night in September of 1954 over Lakeshore Drive, just hauled right over it and placed right next to the museum where it became a permanent exhibit in 1954. It's amazing. And the last time I looked, tell me if I'm not wrong, kids can do overnights there. Are you still doing the overnights? Yes, we are. Um, we have them every so often, and they get to sleep there. Our, our artifacts do not come to life, but they do come to life in other ways. I know. Um, and uh, day what, what and What I suggest night, people but... do is go get the video. I'm sure it's on Netflix, the famous Wolfgang Peterson movie, Das Boat. Yeah. Watch that, and yes. then go to the MSI and see it. Absolutely. It's, a, it's an incredible experience. Um, so eventually what happens is in uh, two, early 2000s, it's clearly um, important to bring the sub indoors. And in 2004, an indoor um, uh, uh, exhibit was built for it, which is underground, uh, north, just north of the, the museum itself. And um, it was brought inside, and the exhibit was created. And we, you can do um, the opt for the onboard tours, which really gives them an incredible insight into the lives of these um, German sailors. Yeah, good luck trying to fit into one of those bunks. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. That'll tell you about space. Oh, yes. Or lack thereof. Or lack thereof. But speaking of space, your museum is huge. I mean, mm -hmm. your, your square footage is massive. It goes way beyond just the submarine. Mm -hmm. I want people to realize that and know that, yes, I'm a... I'm a big fan of the sub, but there's just so much more to see there. Yes, there is. The sub itself, that exhibit, is 35,000 square feet. But then the museum itself is a total of over 400,000 square feet. And interactive exhibits, which is the best part of the deal. Dr. Vula Saradakis, the curator of the Museum of Science and Industry right here in Chicago. My next guest is the travel editor for the Chicago Tribune, and uh, if, if truth be told, I owe that paper a great debt because they got me started as a travel writer back in, here it comes, 1980. Lori Rackle, the travel editor, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, you know, when I first was working for Newsweek and, and, and was in Chicago all the time, I ended up meeting the then travel editor for the Chicago Tribune, Harriet Choice. And realized, and wanted to tell her that you know you're not doing investigative stories on the largest industry in the world. You got to do it. You got to do it. And she said, you know what? You're right. Let's do it. And she anchored me on page two every Sunday, angering every advertiser in the paper. And then within six months, they all wanted to be anchored on the same page because they realized people really wanted that kind of information. So. Harriet Choice, thank you. Chicago Tribune, thank you. And that introduces you, Lori. Oh, and it's nice to see that the Chicago Tribune is not only still publishing, but you have a travel section. We do. We're Yeah. I mean, those are kind of a disappearing breed, unfortunately. Travel sections have, um, I used to be at the Sun-Times. We had one there. It went away. Um, but thankfully, we're still we're still plugging along with, with travel content in the Tribune. We've got six full broadsheet pages every Sunday, and we try to fill them up with a lot of Midwest stories because that really resonates with our readers. Places you can go within a day trip of, of yeah. Chicago, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Drive two trips. Yep. So let's talk about that because Chicago is, it, look, when you take a look at the map, I mean, it, it's such a great opportunity. You're, you're 90 miles from Milwaukee. You're basically two and a half hours from Madison. I mentioned that because I went to school in Madison. Yeah. I, I try to get back every time I can. But you go west as well. Yep. And now you're a short train ride away from a national park. 
because the Indiana Dunes um, National Park became a national park last year. So that's pretty exciting. On so which train? On which train? The South Shoreline. Wow. Out of Millennium Park Station. You can just hop on the train and in an hour you're in one of the one of the parks that rubs elbows with Yosemite and Yellowstone and it's pretty exciting. And speaking of trains, Amtrak still comes to Chicago and you can still go west and east and oh, yeah. south. You can. All the way to New Orleans if you want. You won't be on time, but you can you can try. No, by the way, she's absolutely right. You will not be on time because Amtrak doesn't own the tracks. Yeah. It's owned by the freight lines who could care less. Yes. And so bring a book. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the ride. Exactly. Uh, be, be, do it fast because Amtrak is ending the dining cars. So it's BYO, folks. Yeah. It really is BYO. But I, I'm, as a train fanatic, I love taking the train. Yeah. So where's your favorite one-day trip from Chicago? I think I'm partial to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Really? I, the Dells? <laughs> no, no, not the Dells. Not quite the Dells. Okay. Um, Lake Geneva is about, you know, it, it used to be where all of the um, the you, very wealthy Chicagoans Do you know what homes. I remember about Lake Geneva? It's huh. where the Playboy Club used to be. Yes, yes. And that's now Grand Geneva Resort. So yeah. you can actually stay in the old, yeah, the old Playboy Club. But what I love about it the most is that you can walk around the perimeter of Geneva Lake. So Lake Geneva is the town. Geneva Lake is the body of water. It's about 24 miles, and you can walk around the entire perimeter unobstructed and pass through some of the most gorgeous estates. And you've got the water on one side, and you've got these uh, unbelievable estates on, to your to the other side. And it's just such a – where else in the country can you do that, where you have the access to go and, and walk like that and see such great scenery? And it's only about an hour and a half from Chicago. It's doable. Easy. Oh, yeah. By the way, what's in your backyard, of course, we're looking at it almost from the Gwen every day, is the lake. Yeah. And the thing is, people don't realize the, the unbelievable opportunities you can have either on the river here or getting out on the lake. A freshwater ocean, I like to call it. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, it's it's an incredible asset. But the river has really has really come into its own in the last few years with the, with the development of the river walk. So now people can go and, you know, walk along the banks of the river. I had the best time on one of the small ships going, looking yeah. at, the, at the architecture, looking at the buildings, and before we ever got out to the lake. That's the number one thing to do is to take an architecture cruise on the river. And that it's just such a unique vantage point to see the, like, you know, the architecture in Chicago is obviously world famous, but to see it from the river and to have a docent explain it to you while you're taking one of those nice tours is just the number one thing I recommend people do. When I first came to Chicago, there, of course, there was the Palmer House and there was the the, the Conrad Hilton, mm-hmm. right? Still there. Mm-hmm. They're still there. Yeah, yeah. But you have had an explosion in five-star hotels. Yes, yes. And they have quite the reputation. I mean, just this week, I wrote a story about U.S. News and World Report's annual rankings of hotels, the best hotels in the country. We have two of the three, the Langham and the Peninsula. Right. I mean, that's pretty astounding, you know, when you think about it. The number one hotel was in Hawaii, so you can't really compete with that. But That doesn't count. But, you know, two out of the three in Chicago, and we've got just, yeah, they're, they're, they just keep coming. I mean, we're going to have a new hotel on Navy Pier pretty soon. Um yeah, they, they just don't stop. And this hotel, I remember it, of course, when it was the Conrad. Mm-hmm. Then it became uh, the Meridian. I remember when it was the Meridian because Oprah used to put her guests here. That's right. I, the, and the Omni, right, when I used to, yeah, And the Omni. Oh, yeah. And every time I used to do Oprah's show, that's where, that's how I got this, to, to experience the hotel. Nice. Now, Radical Transformation, here it is as the Gwen, yep. part of the Luxury Connection. Mm-hmm. Or Collection, I should say. Yeah. So, I mean, it's part of, a, of, of this downtown area that's going going great. Yeah, and a lot of locals are, are headed to the hotels, too, because they've got some great, like the Gwen has a nice rooftop. Um, and They've got curling of, here. They've got curling. I yeah, mean, who, can, who knew? Exactly. I mean, what, name one other hotel in America, literally, that has a curling. I can't. I mean, 
<laughs> it's here. We're, we're like, yeah. See, they should brand it like sleep and sweep. Yeah. What do you think? Hey. <laughs> I just came up with hey, that. Hey, that's good. You like that one? That's good. Okay, cool. Have you ever curled? <laughs> I, I did try it here once. Yeah. And? I'm, I'm not going to be joining the Olympic team anytime soon, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm going to stick to travel writing. I bet, I bet when you tried it, the, the thing was moving too fast, right? Uh, I don't remember. I think a few cocktails were involved, but all I know is oh, well, I was not. Then it doesn't matter. Because <laughs> there's a nice bar by the curling uh, See, court or ah, whatever you call it here. Excuse me. Drinking and curling. <laughs> yes. Okay, fine. Yeah, I think that's the idea. The alcoholic uh, impact. Yeah, is. yeah. What's, when, when people are coming to visit you, right, what's the biggest surprise about Chicago that they're not expecting? I think how walkable it is. I mean, I always tell people just walk everywhere. I mean, you can, you know, walk around the neighborhoods, go explore that way, walk around Wrigleyville, walk around Pilsen, walk around the downtown by the river, the West Loop. And you don't really need to rely on a car. I feel like everything is very um, doable. I mean, it sounds very, very, uh, you know, I guess stereotypical for me, but every time I come to Chicago, I just like walking up and down Michigan Avenue and just taking my time. Yeah, there's so much to see. Exactly. It's always changing. All right, so where are you taking me for breakfast? <laughs> um, for breakfast... If, if your husband lets me. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. For breakfast, I actually like a place called Wishbone. It's got like southern um, southern style, like comfort food, and it's not too far from my house. It's uh, in the West Loop, and it's really, it's really fun. Um, and what are we ordering there? I like to do a little savory and sweet. So I like to do maybe like the breakfast burrito, and then maybe um, I'll have my husband order the... Uh, the waffle and we kind of divide it up and, and get a little bit of both but it's a really comfortable cozy fun fun colorful place and lunch lunch um i love imperial lamian which you can also go to for dinner but it's in river north and it's a it's a chinese restaurant and i've been to shanghai and that's where well, i is this where they do the noodles they do the, noo- but, the but from scratch, noodles you actually make hand pulled. you can watch them you can get a that's little a booth. ballet that it's, is a ballet it's I, it's mesmerizing to watch yeah. it's just such an art it's, it's actually magic it is and then you can watch them make the soup dumplings as well. And I've been to Shanghai, and I would put these soup dumplings against any I've had in Shanghai. They are the real deal. They are delicious. I like going there for lunch. It's always quiet. I don't understand why it's not more crowded, but I love it. And it's right in River North. It's a great location if you're if you're going around the downtown and you just want to stop in and get some nice soup dumplings on a cold winter day, which we have a few of those here. I don't know if you I've, know. I've noticed, yeah. yes. And dinner? Dinner. Oh, boy. Um GT Fish and Oyster is probably my favorite place to go to. Um, great pasta. Uh, Giuseppe Tintori is the uh, chef there. He knows his pasta, and he also, uh, those are the best freshly shucked oysters I've ever had. Oysters from where? Oh, all over, East Coast and West Coast. I'm partial to West Coast, but they you can order them. They always have a good selection of East Coast and West Coast. They do a great job of keeping that liquor in, so you still, you're not like, you know, downing a dry oyster. I mean, they're just really well done, and the so, cocktails so are great. So basically, you're talking about alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm just double checking this. <laughs> no, just... no, the liquor in the in the oyster shell, not the, the non-alcoholic liquor. Yeah. In the, yeah. You know, when it comes to the concept of the concierge. Most Americans have no clue what a concierge does. They're intimidated by one. Um, they think that all that concierges do is get you theater tickets. Um, not exactly the, the, the deal of the day. But the real bottom line is that when you look at what a concierge really does and understand that local knowledge is key, 
then you'll understand my next guest. He's the the chef, the chef concierge for, uh, for the Gwen Ramon Gomez. And you're a Southside Chicago guy. Yes, indeed. I grew up in the uh, Bush neighborhood, which uh, if you go down Lakeshore Drive past the South Shore Country Club, which is uh, the south uh, part of Chicago, you're going to get to Bush, which used to be dominated by U.S. steel mills, uh, Wisconsin steel out there. It was a very diverse, very very unique neighborhood. Uh, all different types of ethnicities uh, reside still there to this day. And uh, you can literally fall into Indiana because you're right on the border. And by the way, Indiana loves when you say you can fall into Indiana. Fair enough. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> but let's talk about Chicago itself because that's what you're bringing to this job, right? Absolutely. It's, it's not just uh, getting tickets to the Cubs. No, it's not. It's uh, As I like to say, I think uh, – Although I'd like to get some tickets to the Cubs. Yes, if, if, if necessary needed, I'm, I, okay, I got a guy. Okay. I got a guy. Yeah. A See, that, guys. That's the, the true definition of a concierge is a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. Fair, as, exactly, that's it. But uh, I think I speak for the, um, the concierge in the city of Chicago. We do our very best to make the impossible possible for our guests. At the same time, we want to make it a an open experience where people aren't afraid to come and, and talk to us. Um, we are we are very versed in knowledge of the city and experiences, and we want to make it as easy as possible for you to take that home with you and make a memory and make a moment. Well, before you were here, you had, what, 12 years at the W? That is correct, yes. I started my concierge uh, career at the W Lakeshore here in Chicago, which I'm very still fond of that property. It's a wonderful property. It's a different property compared to the Gwen here. But, uh, yeah, they, they basically took me in with open arms. I came from a, a background where I've worked multiple jobs from, you know, being a public works uh, representative for the city of Calumet City, working at a hair salon. You know, I've done it all and I fell into hospitality and um, I hope so I So basically you can get Cubs tickets and a manicure. That's correct. Okay, just double check. Or haircut, you know, whatever you'd like. Color. All right, so now let's go back to your days at the W. What was the craziest request you got there? That you were able to fulfill. Yes. I mean, I've, I've had quite a few, to be honest with you, but uh, to keep it a little PG. I've, I've no, had, no, no, no. That's not, no. The, that's not the, the basis of the oh. show. What's the craziest request you ever got? There? Well, the craziest. Okay. Well, if, if we're going to go that that deep yeah, into the yeah. rabbit hole. Uh, did I, it involve a rabbit hole? It did not. Okay, but it involved I, I had things. to ask. Okay. I, I basically had a guest who was very interested in um, having a romantic experience with their boyfriend who they had not seen in quite some time. She worked a job, a profession where she was always on the road, uh, always occupied with work. So she wanted to, it to be a an exotic experience. So she requested me to, let's say, put in a pole in her room, a a uh, swing in her room and edible paints to have a very romantic engagement. And long story short, by the time the experience was done... How many dollar bills are on the floor? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no dollar bills, but a lot of fingerprints all over the floors and the ceiling. So it was a good cleaning job. But um, the wonderful thing is, is that I was able... Those are the things that concierge live for, to... A lot of people are under the assumption that maybe... Was that the first and last time you put the pole in? No, it was not. It was not. I've done that a couple times. That was actually like the first year I was a concierge at uh, the W, so people knew me as the exotic concierge or the erotic concierge at the time uh, from the staff. But my point being is that those are the... Those are the requests that we live for and are actually some of the easier requests because it lets us to think outside the bubble. And be more and creative. Absolutely, 100%. So how many poll suites here at the Gwen? None. None at this point. Okay, just double-checking. None, none at the All moment. Right. Not that it can't be done, but not at this moment. But the thing is this. 
if somebody needs a 747 at 10 in the morning, you can find one. We can, absolutely. There is There are a couple of vendors uh, in the city of Chicago that we can uh, reach out to, not just the average United Airlines reaching out to that. If someone wants a private flight, that is within our wheelhouse. We can uh, Any concierge, I would hope, in the city of Chicago can accomplish that. But, you know, I go back to the days when I was growing up when my parents were terrified of the concierge because in the old days, the concierge were their own separate billing entity that mm-hmm. was in the European model, sure. right? And I remember walking to a hotel with my mom in, in, in Nice when I was 12 years old and she was don't talk to them about anything <laughs> because she was afraid it would cost $8 million to find out where there was a Coca-Cola. You know? <laughs> yes. Those times have changed. They, they've definitely changed. I, I, I think uh, after 2007, 2008, when the, the country went through the recession, you know, uh, the traveler got a little more savvier, a little bit smarter uh, with how to handle their uh, recreation uh, time in the cities or when they're traveling. And we have now moved past that where people are trusting other people to fulfill their their desires and their needs and their wants and it, just in my experience uh, it's not about having um, it's not about the gratuity it's not about the the commission it's about the appreciation and someone being able to go back home and saying I met Ramon at the Gwen and that guy made the trip rather than bro- broke the trip well just add to the button have a, have a button say I met Ramon who knows a guy who knows a guy <laughs> yes Ramon knows a lot of guys and gals <laughs> No and, it works. <laughs> and it works. It does work. It does work. But at the same time, you know, being a Chicago resident, living here for so long and living literally in the city, I remember coming downtown every day uh, to pick up my dad uh, from work and my mom showing us this location or that location and just, you know, it, it's, it's, in your, it's in your blood. It's in your soul, you know, so it, it makes it a lot easier to promote. And at the same time, if you want to go to the south side and literally fall into Indiana, Ramon can tell you that too. I can definitely tell you that. remember this hotel when it was the the Conrad and then it became the Meridian and then a radical transformation and redesign and it is now part of the luxury collection known as the Gwen. Very cool place and not bad food because of course I had to introduce our executive chef here, Matthew Jurgens. How are you, sir? Great. Thanks again uh, for having us, Pete, and, um, and being here again and getting to see this version of the Gwen in this building. Yes, the latest incarnation. Exactly. I love. Yeah. You're not from around here. I, I can say that like from Texas. You're not from around here, are you? Uh, I've been in here for about two and a half years. Um, the Gwen got me here. I was actually born in the Midwest, <clears throat> born in Iowa, uh, but grew up in Boston. Uh, so that's where I got started in luxury hotels and, and cooking and ended up out here. And, you know, Chicago, is there such a thing as Chicago cuisine? I think there is. You know, I think it's it's such a great middle ground in, in between all the big cities, between New York and L.A., and you still have that Midwest feel that that's bringing that, that home cooking and that, that passion um, to a big city like this. And of course, I go way beyond deep dish pizza here. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, first of all, I'm not a fan of deep dish pizza. I'm a New York single, you know, thin slice kind of guy. But I've always looked at Chicago food as, as essentially comfort food because nine months out of the year, you need something to warm you up. Right, exactly. And, you know, when we're starting to think about the spring, that's a long ways away. And, you know, even on the calendar, it might be that way, but there's, it still takes a while for stuff to grow around here. So you have to survive those, those long winters. But that influences your menu. Of course it does. Um, you know, you want to be as seasonal as possible, but you also want to cook from your roots and what your, what your family before you did. I mean, the good news about the way we, world, we work in the world these days is you can source anything. It can be here tomorrow. That's not the problem. Exactly. Um, but there has to be some soul behind it. And just because it's being grown one in one place in the world doesn't mean it's necessarily the right thing to do. And just because you have access to it doesn't mean that it's the best that you can find. Now, you got your first charcoal grill when you were 11. I did. That was one of my, one of my first Christmas presents as a kid growing up. Um, you know, 
I was lucky to have parents and family that loved to cook, and they well, kind but, of supported Look, if you that. were 11 years old and you got the charcoal grill, that means your parents trusted you with the lighter fluid. That as well. They, they kept a close eye on me, but, uh, <laughs> but we got it going. And what were your favorite dishes then, and have you incorporated any of them now? It depends on the season, really. It's, so we, we grilled a lot um, in the summers growing up um, in Iowa as well as Boston. And it was, you know, I still, I'm still making some of the same things at home as we did as, as when I was a kid. You know, we're making, we're making lamb shoulder blade chops. We're making pork chops a lot. We're, we're cooking steaks. And it's just simple, easy food. All right. But then you've added some interesting touches. For example, I had the salmon on your menu last night. Yeah, so, I mean, same thing, you know, nice nice Atlantic salmon that we're roasting off and just some flavors that we've picked up throughout the years. You know, our menu kind of revolves around how we like to eat and where we go out to eat. There's no set style. Um, and that's I think that's a part of that, that comfort food you were talking about is stuff that makes you feel good. Is there such a thing as a Matthew Jurgens signature dish? I've been asked that question a lot, and I, I, sh- I you hope You just I, got asked it again. I hope I never have an answer to, uh, for you, Peter. Um <laughs> We try to we try to improve on everything every day, and we try to we try to come up with some new stuff as well as put spins on some classics. Well, the one that I remember from last night, smoked cauliflower. It's probably our most popular dish. Um, <clears throat> one that I didn't think was going to take off uh, when we first put it on there, um, but it has exploded, and now it's going to be there for a while. Um, smoke it, uh, fro- fry it off, nice and crispy. Uh, glaze it with some curry sultanas and some fried capers and and a hazelnut tahini. So that- Works really well. All the things I put in my dishes, wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so a little more than you do at home, but it's it's honestly, it's a very few ingredients that are going in there. We're just kind of treating them the way we want to. You know, when you think about it, the, the one meal of the day, at least in my experience, that, that chefs have not really paid much attention to is breakfast. Well, that's a very important part of being a, <clears throat> excuse me, a hotel chef is that you have all these people that need to eat breakfast every day. So there has to be a, a great focus on it. It's a, it's a big market for us. It's a big draw for in-house guests. Um, and you have to put a little bit of a different spin on it. You know, we, we, have this, we have this clientele that expects a lot, and we have to put out a lot. All right, so give me an example of what you're doing different at breakfast. So our brunch menu, I think, is, is the best uh, version of that with our, uh, our parsnip and black pepper biscuits with a duck confit gravy. You know, it's, it's biscuits and gravy, but... It's it's it's, a it's menu language exactly. Uh, we do a great fried rice in the weekends um, with some pork belly and a poached egg and some mushrooms, and it's just it's a cross between you know some really good hangover food and a little more upscale food. So, hangover food? Yes. I mean, okay, define that, please. So you're waking up today. You're waking up tomorrow. You had a great night at the Gwen last night. You had a few cocktails, and now it's time to check out. And, and get now going. it's two o'clock in the afternoon. And you're waiting for breakfast. Exactly. <laughs> and you and you need you need that some of that grease some of that heavy to, to get you going for the rest of the day so that's where the pork belly comes in that's where it comes in so after a heavy night of drinking nothing beats it like a, a pork belly chaser yeah just you know just keep just keep hurting yourself a little more <laughs> okay the hurt aspect <laughs> you've been listening to peter greenberg worldwide catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world Special thanks to our sponsors at Clear. Enroll in Clear at clearme.com slash Peter and zip through busy airports nationwide. Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, and you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com. 
Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts.